All right, everybody. Awesome morning, awesome praise and worship. It's always good to be in the presence of God. Well, I've said it this many times, whenever we are in His presence, God is eager to communicate His truth to us because it is His truth that will sanctify us. That is the prayer of Jesus. And it is the truth that will set us free. That is the statement of Jesus, all in the Gospel of John. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for, for uh, your presence. And uh, not just your presence, but we want to hear from you, Father. We ask you that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal your truth to us. And Lord, in our hearts, that will sanctify us and set us free and cause us to walk in a straight and narrow path towards you. Thank you, Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, I'm going to read it now. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Strong words. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has a need to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Okay. Now we are in the fifth church in, uh, on the series of the book of Revelation. We were, we've been going through the messages to the churches. I'm excited about all these, these messages to the church because I can feel Jesus' love, his passion, and his, his uh, eagerness to see the church walk in victory. And that's why... He's trying to coach them, like we've, we've said many times. He's trying to coach them how to get their acts together. Because it's like, like I said, we've said many times, it's not what happened. It's not the chaos that happened uh, in the world that will destroy the church or will be the undoing of the church. But what is tolerated within the church that needs to be fixed. If that is not fixed, that will be the undoing of the church. So... So too with this, this message to the church of Sardis. Now, here's the thing. Out of the seven churches, okay, Sardis, the church in Sardis was one of the two churches that received the strongest and harshest rebuke or reproof. The other church is Laodicea, which is the last church. We're going to go there. When we, when we get there, we'll talk more about that church. But this is one of the two that received the harshest or the hardest reproof or rebuke from Jesus. Okay, let's, let's look at first to give us a better understanding. Look at the historical background of this city called Sardis. 
it was Sardis was an active commercial city and a very wealthy one. It is a city with a very strong Jewish community, and this community, the Jewish community, were very prosperous and very influential. So strong was this community, this Jewish community, that they've got a synagogue there in that city, and the length of the structure of the synagogue is roughly pretty much the same as the length of a football field. Imagine, massive, massive synagogue. And it is located right next to the city gymnasium, okay, which at that time, the city gymnasium also functioned as, as uh, the center of pagan Greek culture. So all kinds of things happened there. The emperor worship and all those things. Now here's, here's the fact, okay? Unlike the churches like Smyrna and Philadelphia who were persecuted by the Jewish community, who experienced mistreatment from the Jewish community, the believers in this city, city of Sardis, seem to have a peaceful relationship with them and as well as the rest of the population of the city. So that's the situation. So they seem pretty comfortable with, with their existence. Now, in that context, let's go to the passage and see what Jesus is trying to say to this to this uh, church. It begins with the greetings. And in chapter 3, verse 1, and Jesus said here, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Okay? Beginning with Jesus introducing himself. Now, we, uh, in, in our last few messages about the, the, the revelation of Jesus and the churches, the victorious churches, we've, we've, uh, I've made a statement, the, the, the importance of understanding who Jesus is in the light of our situation or the, what, what we are going through. So to, to see our situation in the light of Jesus rather than seeing Jesus in the light of our situation. And therefore, there is a strong correlation between Jesus, the revelation of Jesus to the situation where the church is in. And you can see, see this all in the messages to the churches. For example, for the Ephesus, what they were going through and on the issue they were dealing with, and which is uh, the church that is a loveless church, fallen away from, from the love they had at first, and are in, in danger of losing their status as a church, Jesus revealed himself as the one in charge of the church who has the authority to take their, their, their status. And to the church uh, in the city of Smyrna, who experienced persecution, and they were about to, to, to experience severe persecution, Jesus uh, gave them the encouragement to be faithful even to the point of death. Now, in that situation, Jesus presented himself as the one who died and lived forevermore. In other words, he had life forevermore. Therefore, if you, you, know, if you, if you want to survive, you need to be faithful even to the point of death. And in that situation, he introduced himself as the one who died and lived forevermore. Now, for Pergamum, who uh, experience, uh, 
who uh, experienced, uh, uh, who had this this issue with. Uh, let me let me let me let me let me. Uh, uh, Jesus came to them and said, and revealed himself as the one with the sword of his mouth. Okay, because they experienced persecution, and even even uh, the church in in uh, in Pergamon Bay, one of the the members of the church were 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 killed. Jesus introduced himself as the one with the with the sword, because the local authority used their their authority to to execute one of the members. So uh, Jesus Jesus. Introduce himself as the one with the with the sword, double-edged sword. Now, to the church in Sardis here, Jesus introduced himself with as as uh, the one who has the seven spirit of God. Right in the very uh, uh, verse one here, the words of him who has the seven spirit of God and the seven stars. Obviously, the seven stars, we've talked about it, about the messengers of the church, seven angels. But he himself is the who has the seven spirit of God. Why would Jesus present himself as the seven spirit, uh, the one who has the seven, seven spirits of God? Why? What, what has that got to do with their situation? Because it's a dying church. As we read in the verse 1 there, where Jesus said, I know your reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So Jesus introduced himself, revealed himself as, as the one who holds the seven spirits of God. And uh, why seven, Why the, 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 the uh, aspect of the spirit of God? Because, like Jesus said in the, in the Gospel of John, it's the spirit that gives life, right? For for. A dying church, they need a revelation of the Spirit of God. And uh, it's a dying church. And also, the uh, Romans chapter chapter 8, verse 11, when they talk about the Spirit of God, where Romans chapter 8, Paul said that even though the body is dead, but because of the Spirit of God, the Spirit is able to give life to us. While the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is able, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is, is in our mortal body and is able to give life even though the body is dying because of, of sin. And if you want to take it further even to the book of Genesis and the creation of man, when God created man, the Bible says he formed man and then after he, he created, fashioned, fashioned this, this being, and then the Bible says, and God breathed into, into the man, when the spirit, spirit, spirit of God entered mankind, he became a living soul. So, to this dying church or church that is dead, even though have the, having the reputation of being alive, God presented himself as a spirit, as, as a life-giving being, okay? So that's the point. Now here's the thing. In the context of, because of the historical context that I mentioned before, it seems that because of the absence of the world's opposition and persecution, the church might have grown comfortable 
with their relationship with the world because there was no persecution there. Yeah, they were too comfortable. And uh, I want to make some statement here, and now, now we'll, we'll, it'll become clearer as, as we go on in this, in this sermon. Okay? They have grown comfortable in their relationship with the world, and because of that, they lost their bite as a church. When there's no opposition, okay, now I remember somebody, I think it was my brother, who experienced persecution in, uh, in Indonesia. We, to we told the story before, you know, where some of them were, were killed by, by jihad. Anyway, there was, you know, he told me the story, but he's, what he said is the danger of the Western churches is that he said, we, have, we had our jihad and we gained the victory. The church uh, triumphed over that. Yes, some of us got killed, but he said, the Westerners, Western churches, your jihad is comfort. And I agree with him. Yeah. Why? I want to say this. I want to make this statement, and, and I'm going to repeat it again at some point, but I want you to remember this. Okay, listen to this. Opposition and persecution are meant to test and to check and ultimately strengthen our conviction. I'll say it again. Opposition and persecution are meant to test, to check, and ultimately strengthen our conviction. Yeah. So this church, in the eyes of men, they had the reputation of being alive, but they were actually dead in the, in the eyes of Jesus. I just want to talk about this thing called reputation. Especially in this generation, it's always been like this, but more so in this generation, everybody are preoccupied with reputation. There are two things that, 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 are, that, are, that I want to, con the con two contrasting things that I want to just talk a bit. And that is reputation and character. Reputation is what, what is seen. Character is not really. It's very subtle. Reputation is what the world perceives who you are. Okay? What, the, what people think or perceive about you. Whereas character, no one really know, knows the quality, your quality, unless they really, really know you. So character is what God knows about you, whereas reputation is what... The world knows about you. Or I can say character is what my wife knows about me. <laughs> my reputation is what the world perceives about me. And unfortunately, in our generation, we are so busy and being preoccupied with building our reputation. And many people are out there having amazing reputation, but really not spending enough time in building our character. Anyway, that's another subject. But that is the situation with the church of Sardis, in the city of Sardis. They had the reputation in the world about being alive, but in the eyes of God, they were dead. So, in that situation, Jesus gave an instruction. The instruction, first instruction is number, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse, verse 2. He said, wake up! Yeah, because... You're a dead church, so wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. 
Whoa. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Okay? So here's the thing. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Your church is dead, and there are some things in you that are good, but even that, whatever you've got left is, is pretty much about to finish. It's about to die. So God, uh, Jesus said, wake up. It's almost like it's a church where... <laughs> You need you need, you need you know the, in a, in a, in a, in a in a medical science you need that sort of a, what what do you call the fib the or whatever you call it when they when they shock you put a shock on you to, to revive you yeah defibrillator it's like wake up wake up if someone who's dying the, it's almost like the the rescuer trying to keep them alive by saying wake up wake up stay with me stay with me. And it seems like this is what God is trying to do. Wake up. Be watchful. Why? Because the comfort of the world has dope. The, the, yeah, the, 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 the comfortable environment, the comfort of the world had doped the people of God in that city. Yeah. They didn't exactly sound like a kind of church that is described in Matthew chapter 16, Verse 18, where Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And what kind of church I will, you know, it is, it is the church where the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, when you look at that statement of Jesus, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That very language. The language itself shows that it's the church supposed to be the, in, on the offensive. The gates are past, passive. They're there to be attacked. Okay? But in this situation, the church was dead. And maybe the gates of hell were open and then all demons just running through the church. Because the, there's no life in the church. So the Further instruction from Jesus, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. Okay? While some in Thyatira, who did not hold to the teaching of Jezebel, Jesus said, just hold on to what you have. Whereas to this church, Jesus said, listen, you need to keep alive what is left with you. More than just holding on, but you need to fan the fan, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Fan, fan it, fan it into, into flame sort of thing. What you've got there because it is, whatever you've got is dying. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. And because whatever that, that you have left is about to die. How do you keep what is about to die. How do you keep it alive? And the instruction, Jesus goes further with the instruction. As a coach, he continues his coaching and instruction by saying, okay, the way you keep it alive is by, no, verse 3, remember 
what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. Okay? So what Jesus is saying is this. The reason you are at your state is because you have let go what you had in the past. Go back to what you heard at first. And then keep it. And the next thing is you need to repent. Yeah. And he said, if you not, if you will not wake up, I'm going to come against you. Yeah. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Like Jesus, you want, are you going to come against the church, your own church? Well, yes. According to this, like a coach, he will. Give a strong discipline. Yes, here's the thing, all right? God will judge the world eventually. But while we are in this world, God will continually, Jesus will continually coach his church and will continually, if, if, it, if it means judgment, he will bring judgment in the church. Remember Peter said uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, he said, Judgment will begin in the house of God. Yes, eventually God will, God will judge the world. But before he does that, he's going to come to the church to get their act together, to get our acts together. Because he wants to refine his church because we are supposed to be the embodiment of all that Jesus is. Who is the embodiment of all that God is. According to Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 and chapter 2 verse 9. So, the question is, what was, that, that, what was it that they, they, they got at first that will keep them alive? That they need to remember and keep it and repent to go back to that. What is it? It's none other than the message of the cross of Jesus. The message that according to Paul, the message of the cross to those who are perishing is nonsense. But to those who are being saved is the power of God. So I believe what Jesus is, is trying to bring the church back is to the, 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 the core truth of the message of the cross. That's what Paul said in, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, I believe, where he said, in, the, in my pursuit, you know, my thing is, I would like to be unified with Christ and, and the power of his resurrection. But here's the thing, in Philippians 3 verse 10, he said, but my goal is to be unified in the death of Christ, so somehow, I will attain to the resurrection of Jesus. Powerful. So I believe having the understanding of the message, the, the, the essence of the truth of the message of the cross is that being unified in the death of Christ to somehow, like Paul, with the hope that he will attain to the resurrection of Christ, this church who had the reputation of being alive and yet dead, I believe they have neglected the message of the cross. I believe that. 
the message of the cross is absent in the in the environment. They're too comfortable. And Jesus said, if you not, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. In other words, Jesus will come and fix them. Now here's the encouragement. In verse 4, he said, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, few names, people in Sardis, people who have not soiled or, or contaminate their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. worthy. I'll read it again. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. To me, this is good news. And the good news is this, that the well-being of any church is not having the right system or the right institution, but having enough God-fearing people in it. Doesn't matter how bad, whatever church will go through, whatever situation, if there are enough God-fearing, uncompromising God-fearing people, there's hope for the church. I believe that. The Sardis situation shows that even a small group of God-fearing people will do it. That's why Jesus said, that's the good news. You have some names. In other words, Jesus, Jesus knew who they are. Some names. Interesting. Because in that church, there were some in, the, in that church who would not pollute themselves with paganism. People who have not compromised. So that's the good news. So the promise with that is that the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That is an interesting promise because that is a statement that Jesus made in the gospel when he was still in the world. If you deny me before, before, before men, I will deny you before my father. It's kind of it's scary that Jesus made the promise because the implication is this, that, that these people, by their conduct, their, their very conduct and lifestyle, have denied Jesus as Lord, pretty much. Because that's, that's the promise. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's the promise for those who would dare to confess the name of Jesus before public or in the world. And Jesus will deny those who will deny him. He said, I will deny him before my father and his angels. And speaking in this language shows that the, the church, with their conduct in compromising with the world, they have denied the faith and the name of Jesus, except for a few of them, like, like it is written there. So this promise for those who, who persevere will not be blotted out from the book of life. 
also a serious, serious warning for many Christians, especially in the, in the Western culture, that we depend so much on, on our institution and, and, and purely on our past experience. Just, oh yeah, I remember, you know, I, I confess Jesus and, and, and you know, I believe in Jesus. And now their life pretty much, they live their life, their own life without Jesus just because of their past, our past experience, thinking that once safe, always safe, it doesn't work like that. The Bible actually encourages us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me say this. It says, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say, work on our salvation. He said, work out. In other words, figure it out or work it out. Okay, we need to be diligent with who we are in God. Work it out. Okay, work out our salvation. So, it is a warning for us who think that, yeah, we're doing well, but we're just blase about God without realizing we'll just drift and drift and drift. And this church got to the point where they need resuscitation, pretty much. <laughs> they need to, to be zapped, like, you know, when, when people are dying, the heart stops. I think that's what they call it, defibrillator or something, whatever. You know? It's like, wake up! Wake up! So God said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I'm going to go to a conclusion. I'm going to have the measles to come here. And, uh, yeah, come, come, come in, guys. What's the, the lesson for us to learn? It seems that because of the absence of the world's opposition and persecution, this church may have grown comfortable with their relationship with the world So they, they lost their, their, their edge, or their bite. Like I said before, opposition and persecution are meant to test and check and ultimately strengthen our conviction. And I look at the, uh, even in the, in some of the Christian, Christian circle, the danger that, that, that I see, the, the, the trend that I see in the, in the Western country, where the churches look for a perfect system for its existence. Yes, I believe in the democratic system where, where we all have, have the right, <laughs> inverted commas, <laughs> quote unquote but I believe as the church of God rather than see it as our right to fight we need to fight for our right no, see the democratic system as an entrustment we need to be good steward 
And therefore, yeah, we, we voice our opinion and all those things. But at the end of the day, we cannot trust institution and the friendliness of the world for our existence and rest on that. No, as long as we live in the world, Jesus said, you will be persecuted. You will have tribulation. That's what's going to happen. And interesting enough, Jesus said, when in his prayer to the Father concerning the disciples in John chapter 17, he said to the Father, Father, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, I mean to save them from the world. I ask them that you keep them and protect them while they are in the world. So in other words, in the world, yes, it will happen, but we will be protected, however that, that looks like. But the way for us to protect ourselves is to keep to maintain, to retain who we are as God's people. Otherwise, we might think we're doing the right thing, we seem like we're alive, but in the eyes of God, God would say, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So let's be the church that God wants us to be. We need the Spirit of God, we need the truth of God that will keep us alive and the spirit of God, spirit of truth that will lead us into all the truth. So, let's just sing this song. I love this song because, you know, not just because it's written by Ben, my son, but because the, the lyrics is amazing. I will rejoice. We just do the, the, the chorus. I will rejoice in the hope of 